Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by, joined with, joined by, I never know what to say, Michael Brunts, Brian Christopherson, the triumvirate of Husker 24-7 coverage. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Just shaved for the first time in a week. Do you admire it? Do you see that fresh shave? Lean, lean in a little closer. Let me get a good look at you. There you go. <laughs> you like that? That's a that's a, cl- that's a close shave. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did you? Your your beard's looking pretty trim yourself, Schaefer. It looks uh, like you got it trimmed up right before the um, the decree that shut down the barber shops. Okay. Uh, now I have to I have to take care of it myself. I mean, it looks maintenance. That's what I'm saying. It looks yeah, like it, you're. It's getting a little fluffy on the side, so we're gonna have to gonna have to do some work on it, but trying a little bit. Are you uh, prepared to let that thing go if masks become uh, ubiquitous? Yeah, I mean, I I can trim it at home. Like, there, there's nothing that prevents me from doing it anymore. I just discovered in October of last year, I could pay someone else $10, and it looks a lot better than if I do it myself. But it looks kind of like when I trim the bushes out front, and it's just, there's no rhyme or reason for which branches got cut down. There's no pattern. There's It just – it looks – like an amateur job. That's what my beard trimming had been for the last decade. And then I went to a professional and you really, you can't go back from that. You know, you, you like, get a, it's like if you gave yourself your own haircut for years, it'd probably be, you know, you could get to the point where you weren't completely embarrassed by it, but then you went and got your haircut by someone who did it professionally. It's a totally different ballgame. That's true. You're going to have like angels, like, like, like the really expensive bush treatments, like in your beard and stuff like that. I I think the the biggest blessing here is that my hair no longer really grows, so I could go a while without really having to get a haircut, which <laughs> is nice. Um, but also really disappointing and sort of depressing in its own right. It's all right. There's a lot lot of depressing going around right now, so that fits it fits the narrative. Yeah, listen listen to the guy complaining about his hair not being able to grow. That's what he's most concerned about. <laughs> Everybody appreciates that guy. He understands <laughs> the situation. Those were also pre-corona concerns as well. Yeah. Uh let's start with this. Have either of you started the Tiger King show that has taken the nation by storm? I have not. I haven't either. Uh, I'm an episode in. Um, it it didn't exactly grab me as much as it did other people. One episode in, but I'm told that it gets nuttier and nuttier as it goes on. And I am the type of person who feels like if everybody is talking about something, I'm a follower in that way. Where I'm like, okay, I, I gotta I gotta be in on the conversation at least. So I will probably mow it down here in the next few days. Which is interesting because of your general anti-technology stance. I mean, technology has improved over the years, and you just kind of held out against it. Uh, yeah, mostly. Um, I've been watching – I've been continuing on with The Office and a lot of the Ken Burns uh, baseball documentary. I, I just told you guys a story about Satchel Paige. So, uh, if, yeah, if, if, if you want to know anything about, uh, um, you know, Joe DiMaggio or anything like that, I'm, I'm here for you. BC is all in on cultural zeitgeist out on digital boarding passes on airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was such an amazing moment. It was kind of like a watershed moment. Like grandpa learns to fly kind of thing. We were in that line at airport security for a little while getting that thing to download. 
I was nervous. <laughs> I was I, I I was like I could you see the fear in my eyes when I was like, how, are they going to actually accept this if I hold my phone up? Are they going to let me through that gate? You didn't believe me, but we got you on the plane. Yeah, I like the hard copy. I give me give it to me. I still like that with tickets to ball games too. Whenever we get back to that, I like I like the ticket in my hand. You know why? I I just I feel safer with it. I I don't. I don't even like uh, when you have to print out the piece of paper where it's like you, I, I, I want the actual ticket if I can get it. So you're going to pay the extra 12 bucks to have them ship you the tickets? I have before, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might change my financial thoughts in some ways on some things going forward, but I, that's the way I used to operate a little bit, yes. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, as the guy who routinely forgets tickets at home, it's nice to have them on my phone. Yeah, I, I can see the appeal of it. I mean, I, I'm not that dense about it, but... Uh, that's, a, that's a total <laughs> guy dismissal thing. I can see the appeal of it. <laughs> <laughs> he just well, wants to put it in his uh, scrapbook, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, I don't, but uh, anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, Ruggs, what have you been watching? How have you been surviving? Uh... What have I been watching? Old West Wing episodes. Um, which Back seems, when they faced national pandemics. Yeah, the, the big one was uh, flag burning. Uh, that, that was their recent big thing they had to tackle. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, so um, while that's a very important topic, it does kind of pale uh, in comparison to the news of the day. So, Didn't President Bartlett get his uh, daughter kidnapped at one point, though? Uh, that sounds correct. It's kind of when the show is starting to jump the shark a little bit. When it's the end of season three. Yeah. Well, yeah. When the president's daughter gets kidnapped, I just was like, all right, maybe, maybe we're taking it a little too far, Sorkin. Yeah. So yeah, when uh, he was uh, when he was yelling in Latin in the uh, the sanctuary is is probably the apex of that show. That's probably my favorite episode. Two cathedrals. Just for all the uh, three people that also watch West Wing and listen to this podcast. So. <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's get to the the intent of this podcast, which is to discuss Nebraska sports and activities, which are not happening. But we do have some news to discuss. The NCAA recently, I want to say it was yesterday, correct? On yes. Tuesday, or excuse me, Monday, ruled that spring sports will receive uh, an extra year of eligibility regardless of class or only seniors? Bruns, can you walk us through this a little bit? Yeah, so they voted yesterday. Uh, we're taping this on Tuesday um, to essentially give back a year of eligibility to spring sport athletes. Um, the, the kind of big one is baseball, obviously, because uh, they have more rules to deal with there. They currently have the 11.7 scholarship limit. Uh, your roster size is limited to 35 total guys with 27 on scholarship. So they voted to uh, give everybody a year back. Um, seniors especially, uh, you know, it was noteworthy there because a lot of guys saw their careers suddenly end. But um, kind of the finer print on things, um, guys who are seniors – the school is not required to give the same amount of financial aid that they were giving um, this past season. So guys could essentially, you know, coaches could say, Hey, you know, 
Mojo Haggy, you're welcome to come back. There's a roster spot for you. However, we're uh, we're not going to give you any scholarship money. So that, that's going to create some issues for some schools where baseball is already an underfunded sport as it is. And now you're going to have expanded roster sizes. So how does that kind of work? Um, I guess the NCAA is going to allow schools to use the uh, emergency fund to pay some of those uh, scholarship monies that they want to. But uh, for one year, they're going to allow the roster size to expand for the number of seniors that you have on the roster for Nebraska. That's seven, I believe. So uh, they'll have a, a roster size in the high forties if everybody comes back. But uh, I think it's the right thing to do. It was kind of the expected thing, um, but kind of how everything worked out, uh, you know, is going to be what was kind of how that was what people were waiting to see is basically how you were going to make the numbers and the money and everything work. So what do you guys think? Uh, this probably, I mean, I would welcome either of you guys to say that it was the wrong move. Um, but what do you kind of think about it? I think it was the right move, which is not what you wanted me to say, but I do, I will say it's a very layered issue. And I think there's going to be, <laughs> there's going to be a lot more to this when we, when we, yeah, you know, it's basically like you're going to decide who's who's important and who's not from some of those those seniors. And uh, I mean, some guys are just going to get the message from the aid they get and they're going to be like, well, I get I'm not really needed here. It's obvious and probably move on, I would guess. Um, I thought they made the right call with the winter sports um, saying that was that most of you got most of your seasons in as painful as that is. And I feel really bad for especially like Nebraska wrestling, which was actually poised to um, compete very well at the national championships. And I think they even thought they could win the thing uh, if, if the draws went their way early on. Um, and those guys who are seniors, it ends right on the cusp of the greatest moment of your college life. And now you don't get anything. Um, but yet, I still think those guys did go through most of their seasons and I think it would have opened up a whole can of worms if they had also allowed the winter sports to have another year back. Yeah, I completely agree with Brian on the winter sports. I, I think that the way that that was uh, close to the finish line, it, like, are you really going to make a unilateral decision in which someone like Matej Kavas has another year or Hanif Cheatham has another year? Their season was over. And then you have a number of these guys where they played 90% of, of their games. Like it's what it comes down to is that, you know, as a society, we like finality. We don't want to know or not know, I guess, if you will, what might've happened. And because of that, people feel robbed that there was no NCAA tournament for basketball, that there was no NCAA championships for, for wrestling or for some of these events, but it doesn't, that doesn't, mean you give everybody back another year of eligibility especially with as Bruns described the logistical sort of problems that that creates and then I I think about it with Nebraska basketball which is fully trying to move on to a different roster <laughs> entirely I mean that would be a little bit of a mess for them um to to try to do what they're doing uh but I, my heart does go out to, to those guys who don't know um, if you were a wrestler and you worked all year and you didn't get that opportunity, I mean, you don't want to hear someone like me say that it's it's okay that it finished the way that it did. I mean, it 
they don't want to hear that. But the, the reality of it is you can't give everybody back a year of eligibility. And, and some of those guys, I mean, I think Nebraska's heavyweight is ready to go to medical school. Like, he, what was he going to do with that extra year? I mean, would he have held off medical school for a year to see if he could run back the clock and, and put himself in position to be uh, a potential All-American in wrestling? I, I don't know if that was going to be the case. So it was going to lead to some tough decisions, and I think they made the right decision with spring sports. But that's still, I mean, baseball, uh, what they choose to do, how they choose to handle it, it's going to be uh, kind of interesting. Some of those guys, you know, if you're Will Bolt, you're going to go through that first year and you're going to play them, but they might have been on their way of being phased out with who you were bringing in and the direction of which your program was going to go. So there, there's going to be some really interesting conversations with that. Well, and, you know, as good as it is for these guys to get that year back, and I expect, you know, somebody like Luke Roscom, Mojo Haggy, I would expect those guys to take advantage of, you know, coming back. Um, you know, I think of a guy like Robbie Palkert who played last year and then decided that rather than playing his senior year, you know, he had a, a, a job waiting for him in the private sector that he, you know, decided that he wanted to take that. And for, you know, a guy like Joe Acker or Gareth Stroh or, or somebody like that, I mean, you, you kind of have to weigh the, the financial ramifications too of this. Like, look, you're not like you're, you're getting another year, but at the same time, are you willing to, you know, take on debt um, to allow yourself to play another year? Cause you're not, you're not getting a full scholarship by any means, not anywhere close to that. And, and especially with, with this change, you're, you're probably getting even less than you were last season. So that's going to be a, a factor that they're going to have to weigh. The other piece of this, you know, you've got Nebraska, I believe signed a class of 11 or 12 guys in the fall. So you've got those guys coming in. Um, you know, what, what is your kind of depth chart look like as a team right now? And some of those guys are junior college athletes and you have this other piece of it where if a guy was in junior college this past year and coming to Nebraska for next season, he has to now uh, try to get a waiver in the junior college ranks to get that year back to determine whether he's coming in as a sophomore or a junior to Nebraska. So that's another piece to it. I mean, it's the, the decision itself is great, but you know, you're, you're still trying to make this work. And, you know, I, I college coaches do this all the time with how they allocate scholarships and, and whatever with guys leaving and all that other stuff. But, um, you know, with the, the Major League Baseball draft actually, you know, also sounding like it's going to be reduced and, and going to have fewer uh, selections and rounds and all that stuff, significantly fewer. Um, you're going to have some talented guys getting to campus and then also finding uh, probably a little bit of a log jam at some positions that maybe wouldn't have been there otherwise had this whole COVID thing not happened. Yeah. I mean, it is it is something – we see with football a good amount, though, where there's guys who, you know, by their upperclassmen years, they're, it becomes clear that they're like a third-string guy or something. And you have to have that kind of – this is just going to be a moment for some of those guys coming back of realization, and do, do I fit in here or do I not? And there's just going to have to be some real candid conversations between coaches and players. Um, uh, if if you actually have a role on the on the team, um, 
I think it's going to be interesting with football, even, even though that we haven't canceled a season or anything yet, when guys come back, like who's been working out and, and who hasn't and who's, you know, I got some guys, their mindsets about their mindset about sports might change too. I think there are some people who with this D you could see maybe that I'm going to step away from this and, and go other, another route. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting on all the different sports, what, what people decide to do after this. Yeah. I, um, to, to what Brunce was saying about trying to decide between a job in the private sector and the, uh, and coming back for another year of school, that's made equally more difficult by how reduced the job market is going to be for these spring graduates. And as someone who graduated in the glorious time period of 2010 and was trying to find a media job when they were being reduced at a high rate, uh, best of luck to those individuals because it's going to be rough out there. So have to keep that in mind as well. Their best option may be to stay in school and try to find or see if things look different in 2021 um, and work towards a master's or something along those lines. So uh, that's not an easy decision and a lot of them are going to have to face that. So, all right, well, let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to spin the wheel and see what glorious topic it has for us. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale. Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. And we are back. Gentlemen, did you enjoy that break as much as I did? It was just fantastic. Got a little nap in, did a little lifting, a little cardio. Uh, really feel refreshed. I'm ready to go here. Brian, did you do any push-ups or pull-ups? Uh, well, you, you know, I, I usually do push-ups and, well, well, one of you guys is talking. You see that. You're looking at me. I, I have like a pull-up bar right behind me that I, do, I, I get a workout in while you're talking. That's why sometimes if my points seem a little off base, it's because I, I, I was not paying attention because I was getting a workout in. What I thought was weird is that you didn't put the, the bar very high up on the wall, so you do the whole thing where you curl your knees mm-hmm. so you're not fully standing, and it just it looks odd, but, you know. Well, you, you work out how you work out, I work out how I work out, all right? All right, yeah, fine. <laughs> all right. You know, a little snippy here. Bruns, how do you work out? Uh, slowly, I walk. I, I don't do a lot of working out, I guess. I run a little bit, but... You're not uh, doing the 10K stroller pushing thing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like Walter Payton pushing that thing up a hill, um, but that's that's pretty much it. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. He gets his workout in with the wheel. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Should we give it a spin? Yeah. All right, there it goes. 
So, little uh, little light on wheel topics. I think I've got one. I don't know if we've done it already. Uh, we'll see if it lands on that. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's still spinning. Oh, it stopped. All right. Oh, uh, there it is. Oh, did it land on the one you wanted? Yeah, it did. Surprisingly. Oh man. Oh wow. When you engrave it with the same question, it's it's got nowhere to go. Are you uh, these things? Is that how this works? What's that? Is there like an extra weight so it lands at a specific topic like they do in Wheel of Fortune? It's like Plinko. It's rigged. It's it's totally rigged. No, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, favorite game you guys – favorite Nebraska game you guys have covered? Easy one. Okay. And why? Uh, there's a and, – And let's first off – Give a range. First off, give a range of, of games that you could potentially pick. Okay. And then narrow it down. And then and so people understand what you're working with, and then say what right. what your favorite game is and why. I'll name a few that come to mind quickly. 2012 Michigan State Nebraska is a favorite because it was just a nutso game. It was like the quintessential Taylor Martinez game where he ran wild at times. I think he had like 200 yards rushing. Um, he did silly stuff at times. Um, he once fumbled the ball, almost picked up his own fumble and almost scored. Uh, so that game was, was fun. Nebraska Miami 2014. I think just because I love seeing when Nebraska fans once in a while, like leave the nice tag at the door and just like we're out for blood. Um, so I, I enjoyed that atmosphere. Um, a moment from the – actually, it's the Riley era when Nebraska played at Wisconsin and went to overtime um, in that game. And there was the coin toss, and they had the uh, – it, it had uh, Fultz on one side and uh, Mike Sadler on the other side of the coin. And Nate Gary called it and he called Fultzy, and it landed on Fultz. And I, that was one of those moments where I kind of got chills, where it was like, that, that's, that's sweet. You know, like, as that coin was in the air, I was like, I hope that thing lands on freaking Fultz, you know? And it did, and it, that was great. Um, so those are a few that come to mind uh, recently. Um, what do you guys got? Yeah, I mean, the, the Michigan State game is, is my favorite probably in – terms of coverage since working for Husker 24-7. My favorite overall is when I was a student reporter, so I'll get to that in a little bit. But trying to think of other games you didn't mention, um, there's not a ton. I mean, that's kind of the, the – you don't have – you don't have a lot of great options that aren't specifically around that 2010 to 2012 period because that's kind of the last time Nebraska was at their apex. I mean, there was some really cool moments that happened, um, like you said, with the, the Wisconsin game in 2016 or even the Oregon game and the way that people reacted to Nebraska winning that game. 2014 Miami, which you already mentioned, uh, was, was certainly one. I wasn't there. I'm curious where 2014 Michigan State for you guys, a game that Nebraska sort of played dead for three quarters and then rose up and, and damn near stole at the end of it, uh, a game in which Nebraska punted from, you know, the other team's 29, I think, 
that renegade Bo Pelini inventing new strategies, gaining those extra nine yards in field position with a punt that went for a touchback. Just terrific coaching, if you will. Um, what else? I, you know, 2009 was such a great year for me to be a student reporter at the DN. There's a number of games there. Uh, and the one that I'm going to pick comes from that year. I can go ahead and go with it. Or, Bronx, do you want to? No, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to go with the, the Nebraska-Missouri game in 2009. On the road, a Thursday night contest. The first time I had been to that stadium. The only time I've been to that stadium. And it was raining cats and dogs. Nebraska did not start off particularly well. Uh, I distinctly remember that one of multiple times in my soon-to-be reporting career, I had already started writing uh, at that point. At that time, I was writing a column. I was writing a column for the game. I had already started writing a fair amount of it about how Nebraska had failed to take advantage of a great opportunity on a national stage under Bo Pelini, seemingly yet again that season with their loss that they had to Virginia Tech. And I'm probably about two-thirds of the way into this thing by the time the fourth quarter starts, and that whole game just flips. And you have – uh, I believe it was Dijon Gomes with the big takeaway in that game. You had Sue with the big sack on Gabbert, who then was no longer running like he was able to. Nebraska's offense did just enough to, to move the ball, to score, to put up points. And they were able to flip. I mean, I think, what was it? Was it 13-0 or 16-0 at one point? And I don't have it completely etched in my brain uh, what was, that was. They won 27-12. And- yeah, so they maybe, scored all yeah. But it just felt like Nebraska going into the fourth quarter had very, very, very little chance of winning that game. Yeah, it was 12 nothing, and Nebraska put up 27 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was a, uh, it was a great contest. Uh, going down to the field, the elation that Nebraska's players and coaches were demonstrating at the end of that game in a very quiet – or, you know, area. I mean, Missouri and Nebraska, that was towards the apex of, of kind of, you know, a resumed rivalry there. They had about a six-year stretch where that felt like that was the game on Nebraska's schedule as it related to the Big 12 North opponents. So I think that one stands up there. And, and certainly, as I said, Nebraska-Michigan State, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which uh, I was nursing a bit of a hangover. The uh, – crunchies and the janitor bucket and Canadian beer got the best of me the Friday night before. And then it was, I think the quintessential Taylor Martinez game, everything that you've ever seen from Taylor Martinez appeared in that game. And in the fourth quarter, when he was shot out of a rocket on uh, some of those runs, I mean, it was, it was a callback to 2010 when it looked like he was going to revolutionize Nebraska football. I think, uh, I'll give you a, the, the most interesting game, and BC mentioned it, but that 2014 Miami game, like the, the hate, it was very, it was palpable that night. Like people were pissed. Like not only did you have Miami in town and, you know, that kind of brings its own checkered history with it. You guys, of course, remember sitting in the press box and there was like, like a street brawl going on in the Haymarket where they had to shut down um, the, the name of the bar escapes me, but 
uh, underneath brewskis. Um, Alex Rodriguez is walking around in the press box, like wearing Miami stuff. Like it was just a weird night. And then, you know how you're in the press box and you're, you're kind of in like a, it's a little bit of a fishbowl up there. You're not getting the full experience and go down to the field at, at the end of the game. And Miami's trying to, to punch in a late touchdown and Nebraska's trying to make a stand. And all I remember is Randy Gregory, you could hear him just like talking crap at Miami's offense the entire possession. And, you know, that, you know, late in the game was already decided. You, you could just feel like the crowd was like, they wanted that stop, like more than any like stop probably in that game. And I remember Rick Kaczynski having to basically hustle Randy Gregory off the field after that game because they were afraid that there was going to be some kind of altercation, like is what it seemed like. And I remember people on the sideline being like, we need to get him out of here. And I, that's the last time I really remember a game being that charged in Memorial Stadium. And, you know, I, I'd like to see more of that uh, in the future. But th- that one stands out, certainly. Probably the weirdest one uh, that I've covered was the, uh, the 2005 game against Kansas State that featured Harrison Beck's brief uh, Nebraska entry and that whole thing. But uh, that, that 2014 Miami game still probably stands out for the amount of just uh, juice in the stadium that they haven't had for quite a while. My favorite one, as I think about it now, it's probably call it my college years, and it's 2001 Nebraska-Oklahoma um, when uh, stunts through the past to crouch. And uh, in the press box, you could feel it shake. And looking out at the student section was an amazing sight. It was like a mosh pit in the student section as Crouch was running down the sideline. And that was probably about as that moment. I know everybody always talks about the Alex Henry kick and it was loud when he made the kick, but that was about as loud of a singular moment as I've ever heard in Memorial stadium when Crouch caught it and everybody realizes at the same time he's gone and Nebraska's won this thing. Um, that whole year was amazing because, uh, Notre Dame came to town in September, um, two days before 9-11 happened. It was, com- it was a completely different world. And the intensity for Nebraska-Notre Dame in 2001, there's, there's two games where the night before I felt like, man, this is something else. It was Nebraska-Notre Dame 2001 that whole weekend, like the Friday night in Lincoln was just crazy. And when USC came to town, in uh what 07 I guess before that season went off the rails uh that if you want to talk about amazing weekends those two would be the top weekends I've seen in Lincoln since I've been around just as far as like the energy surrounding um a game and just a carnival carnival atmosphere uh but all those ones you guys give are yeah those are some of the ones that are memorable um Restore the order game was comical to me for uh, various reasons, obviously because the order did not ultimately get restored, but Nebraska had these really cheap, those guys were wearing really cheap t-shirts, like the kind you would make for like your intramural team um, that said restore the order. And uh, that was also the game where the Colorado student got kicked out, wasn't it? 
the whole student section. Clear the student section out. Yeah. Yeah. They're throwing uh, stuff, and I still have a Titleist golf ball uh, that wandered over to my feet from a student that threw it across the field. So I, I have that uh, on my desk. Greg Austin does not have the Restore the Order shirt anymore, by the way. I think we've mentioned that on the podcast before, but he, uh, he got rid of the Restore the Order t-shirt. Did you what know did, Amir Abdullah had 229 yards in that game against Miami? He was amazing. Yeah. He yeah, had 35 he carries, 229 yards. Tommy Armstrong only threw for 113 yards, only attempted 13 passes in that game. I was looking at the stats to try to jog my memory of that game a little bit. And I had – I mean, Abdullah also had 81 yards of kick returns. I didn't see what he had for receptions. Um, but, like – Wow. I I feel like I kind of forget how good Amir was at times, and I do that with some of those other running backs like Roy Hallou and even Rex Burkhead to a point. But what a night that was for him. The first quarter – I'm glad you brought up Hallou. The first quarter of Nebraska-Missouri in 2010 yeah. deserves, deserves something. Uh, I mean, that was – if you want to talk about the one of the greatest quarters in Nebraska football history, uh, it it was that was an undefeated Missouri team, ranked top ten. I think they had just beat Oklahoma the week before, and they're coming in riding high. And Halu just does these long distance jobs over and over again. It was also oddly enough the game where Nebraska's season, as good as that day was took a turn when age when uh taylor martinez who's having a nobody can stop at that point suff, suffers an ankle injury and was never the same qb the rest of that year some would say never was quite the same speed wise after that um so that 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 game had everything in it absolutely final thoughts no i don't think so i'm just uh Remembering Alex Rodriguez walking around the press box just looking very lost. Can you guys briefly come up with what was the worst game you ever covered? <laughs> That's a uh, Got sirens in the background. Yeah, it's, uh, That's over here. <laughs> you're lucky you don't have Slider howling right now is what you're lucky for. I mean, there, there's been some real stinkers. Uh, Nebraska Southern Miss in, in 2004, Joe Daly stepped out of bounds on fourth down right in front of me, uh, about four yards short of the first down. Um, that woman had to be up there. Well, that was a decent Southern Miss team, though. People forget that, but <laughs> but that that one was that was rough. That was the first kind of crack I think where people are like, this this isn't gonna this isn't gonna go well. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Melvin Gordon 408 game. In which he didn't play the fourth quarter, by the way, yep. uh, and, and still had 408 yards. And it started snowing. It was miserable in the fourth quarter. And the odd part of that game is if anybody – nobody's going to go back and watch it. But Nebraska actually <laughs> – Nebraska started the game really strong. They, they grabbed the lead in the first quarter. They were up and, seventeen to seven in the second quarter. Yeah, they looked like – it kind of looked like Nebraska was there to put it on them. And I remember Amir, who I love Amir, but he scored an early touchdown and he did a downward W at the student section for Wisconsin. And it, it had that feel like, man, Nebraska's got swag today. This is going to just be 
this is going to be something. And it was something. <laughs> it was something. Yeah, along those same lines, I think the one that always stands out for me in that same kind of era, Nebraska against UCLA in 2013 at home, wearing their awful black uniforms, playing at 11 a.m., jumping out to what I think was a 17-0 lead early in that game, and then just being completely and thoroughly embarrassed from about the four-minute mark of the second quarter through the rest of the entire second half. UCLA just absolutely owned the second half of that game. And that one stands out to me because it just felt like you could see a clear difference between whether it was coaching, athletes, whatever you wanted to pick. Nebraska just didn't have it. And that wasn't like a – that wasn't a phenomenal UCLA team. I mean, Brett Hundley was fine. They would obviously beat Nebraska the year before. But Nebraska had aspirations going into that season and just nothing after that. I mean, that, that, was, that, that was one of Taylor Martinez's last starts, I think. That game changes if Avery Moss gets the sack right before halftime. Yeah. Yeah, Hundley right along the sidelines. All he has to do, I think, is push him out, and he can't do it. He think gets of the, off or something. Think of the chain reaction of that game. Uh, audio tape came out uh, right after that. Uh, Deadspin article. Uh, at some point, that was going to come out after a bad performance. But that was the one that decided in whoever's mind that this thing's coming out now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, it was a bad <laughs> loss and a uh, just a bad game. I mean, there's there's so many others. I'm surprised Bruns didn't go Fresno State. That's going to be in his top five worst of all time. Well, that was just that was personal. That wasn't uh, the game. Was the game itself was fine, but sit outside. Oh no! Did you did you have an actual press box spot? Were you in the auxiliary? I was sitting right next to you on that folding table. <laughs> I couldn't remember. That just the dumbest worst setup ever. Yeah, the stadium was okay though. I was I was trying to decide what the worst stadium I've been in. I ended up going with Kansas, uh, their version of Memorial Stadium. Um, the other day on Twitter, but I, I briefly considered Fresno State, but the, it's an okay stadium. It's not bad for a Mountain West stadium at all. Okay. All right. Well, let's end this. You can uh, you can catch all of our work at Husker 24-7. If this podcast actually runs today on Tuesday, it is free VIP day, so you can get VIP stories for free today. Check that out on Husker 24-7. We'll be back later this week with another podcast. <laughs>